This is a timely episode in which I got a chance to speak to an expert who has been in education for a while. She's also a teacher of teachers. She also runs a blog on the topic of education technology. Given the situation with the coronavirus pandemic going around, all schools moving into the direction of remote or distance learning and teaching. I'm excited to bring you this episode because this episode offers all of us valuable resources we can use during this time as we engage in remote teaching and learning. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, please email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com because I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Turn and Talk Podcast, everybody. I'm really excited to have an education expert on the show with us today. She's a teacher, a blogger, and an education advocate. And it's uh, going to be a lot of fun picking her brain about everything related to education. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here with us today. Would love to hear first about how did you end up in education? Well, um, at first... When I went to college, my first major was journalism. Then I changed to nursing. So I was in nursing from about 1994 to 2000. Worked in the ER, worked in the outpatient surgery, the NICU, and a skilled nursing facility. And then 9-11 happened. And after 9-11, I wanted to, and I had three kids by then, I wanted to be at home or at least on the same schedule as my own kids. So that's kind of how it started. But the other reason that I got into education is because my husband is dyslexic and I was very interested in the neurology of that. And it just kind of flowed with the medical background and the educational background that I was going into. It just kind of worked together because I'm a special education teacher. Thank you for sharing that. I am also a special education teacher, so it's really great to have someone who can uh, share their experience in the field as well. But first, you mentioned your uh, previous history, professional history, and you've been a nurse. What do you make of this coronavirus uh, pandemic going around and it's in relation to its effects on education? Yeah, it's unprecedented, isn't it? Um, Yeah. It's interesting because when we, I recall very, very much the swine flu that came out, Mm -hmm. I want to say 2009, eight, something like that. And I caught the swine flu from school. Uh, My son got it. It Yeah, it was his freshman year of uh, high school. And it really was not at the level where it is here. I have to assume that there is a very high contagion with this particular virus, but I think the Mm -hmm. issue medically, and I have been out of this for a very long time, is that we don't want everyone to get it at the same time because we don't have the beds available in the ICU that we would need. Right. So that's 
the reason for the quarantine and the school closures and the bar closures and everything else. So as far as medically, that's hopefully going to slow the process down so we're not in this panic like Italy is in right now, mm. which is just, I've talked to some teachers out there who are in the red zone. They say it's like a war zone. It's incredibly wow. disastrous. So medically understandable. As far as the schools are concerned, wow, it has been a national PLC this week. I have been on so many different groups, talking to teachers, trying to figure out how to teach online in about 24 hours. And it's been an incredible coming together to solve this problem very, very quickly. Did you feel satisfied with uh, your particular state's response to as far as the education department is concerned, their response to how um, they handled the situation? Yeah, it's a hard situation. And I just got word that they just introduced a bill and are passing it and having our governor sign it for schools so that seniors will graduate, so that students will not be required to have So many of the 180 days, they're going to waive that. They're going to waive a few other things. Teachers and school personnel will still be paid as long as they're online working. So as far as that is concerned, it's been a quick turnaround because March 16th was the day we found out we were closed until at least the end of March. But now it looks like it's going to be beyond. So Mm -hmm. I can't say they didn't do a good job with the little time that they had as well. And as far as our district, they have done a superb job. They're getting food out there to kids. They are actually um, having childcare services for those essential workers like truck drivers and people in the medical field. So they're doing what they can with something that none of us could have ever predicted. Yeah. Similarly here in New York, um, I think, there's been a decent response. I think uh, a lot of teachers that I speak with, they have been concerned because in New York City, the general consensus has been, and the general message from the mayor and and the State Department has been that people should not be out and about and should be staying inside. But at the same time, teachers were being asked to still come to school. So uh, students had been at home since uh, last week, similar to the date you gave us. Um, that's when we were closed too. And when we found out we were going to close, we were closed Friday and Monday. Um, and then, but teachers had to report back to the buildings Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to plan for the remote learning experience going right. forward. Uh, meanwhile, the numbers in New York uh, were doubling during the time period of the infection, people, you know, inflicted with the infection. So there was a lot of concern about being there, being present in the in the buildings. And, you know, so I was just wondering what you guys had to do in your part of the country uh, with that regard, the planning and all that stuff. Did that happen remotely for you guys or student and teachers yeah. both went out the same time? Yeah, some districts it? and there were there were very few districts that required their teachers to come in. And I think it was just for a day. I think it was Monday. Hmm. For the rest of the districts, including mine, we were told don't step foot 
in the school. Don't come here unless we call you because some cafeteria workers and some teachers' aides were handing out food and things. They yeah. were there. Um, administration was there to figure this all out, but they said, nope, stay home. And then I realized all of my files for my IEPs were at school. Yeah, I can kind of do a shell of an IEP, but then I thought, how are we doing IEPs? And then my head just went wild for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> as far as compliance and all of that was a concern also. But, um, you know, that, that said, we were told not to come in, that if we needed to come in, they would call us. So basically, we are on standby just checking our email. And mm -hmm. we are going to have an entire district meeting on Monday to discuss plans from this point on. And that's a virtual meeting, I imagine? That'll be a virtual meeting, yeah. And what kind of a tool are you using for virtual meetings? Just curious. They're going to use Zoom. Oh, cool. We are too. Yeah. And yes, yeah. yeah, so I have so many questions just just about this topic because literally today was our final day of planning and, you mm -hmm. know, the teachers, we all met and the staff was all there and we were finalizing our last bits. There were so many things that we had to norm and communication and all of that. Um, so what did you guys in your district end up deciding? How are you going to do remote instruction? Well, we already use Schoology with my high school students. Actually, we use it fourth grade through 12th grade. So the mm. platform will be Schoology. Our curriculum will go up there. We haven't heard anything about specialized design instruction, but for me, I'm going to just focus on my students' goals and mm -hmm. really help them with those goals so that they can practice and I'll give them work to do on those. And then we have K through three, there's going to be some lessons that are going to be sent home. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to be sent home at this point, but I know that they are going to get some sort of package curriculum that they can use at home. So our K3 kids will be mm -hmm. doing paper pencil and our 412 will be on that Schoology platform. Cool. And I'm not familiar with the Schoology platform. I've heard about, about it, but I don't know really what, what it entails. But it, is it's there... just a, it's a typical learning management system. Got it. How you've seen lots of others. You know, you can put up videos, put tests on Got there. It. Um, and it uh, mirrors with Google Classroom very well. So we have kind of both going on. And it's mm -hmm. just a way to house everything. And it'll also grade things for you, which and so many people obviously have had to figure this out last minute and yeah. and come up with plans and things of that nature. So there's a lot of variability in how schools are responding to this and, and how they are choosing to do remote learning. And I'm wondering in your district, are there any kind of, or at least in your school, were there any kind of requirements shared about like, you know, uh, what teachers should put up, like are teachers required to put up a video lesson of themselves, for example, delivering instruction of some kind, or is it mostly, you know, you should have uh, some kind of tasks available for kids to do? At this point, it's tasks, and it mm -hmm. is going to go with the curriculum that we have been planning. So mm -hmm. they're going to work on, you know, if they're working on something with the Odyssey, for example, then they're going to work on some pieces of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, I'm assuming that 
teachers will find videos that explain it or create their own. At this point, I don't have a clear indication that we're to use Zoom or anything like that to host a class. Mm-hmm. More, it's going to be on that learning management, at least for now. Cool. And what was your pulse on how teachers' response to this? Um, it was actually incredible because everybody just awesome. put on their, you know, their their thinking caps and pulled up their bootstraps and went, okay, we got to fix this. We got to mm-hmm. do it. Let's go. I have been talking with my team about how we're going to implement all of our instruction. What does that mean for special ed kids? I've been talking. I'm also an English resource teacher, so I've been talking to my English department as well. The reason I bring up the Odyssey is because that's the next unit. And mm-hmm. I've been talking to general ed teachers saying, okay, what's the next unit? What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We were actually going to plan over spring break, and it just became a virtual plan. <laughs> yeah. Then it became bigger and bigger. So then a friend of mine got me hooked into this Facebook group, Creative High School English Teachers or something. And mm-hmm. now I'm on that. And now there's a group. And there's like 40,000 people on this COVID-19 school closures Facebook group, Wow, <laughs> which is incredible. I know. And then I run a digital tools, blog, and resources through the National Education Association. If you go to Ed Communities, you mm-hmm. can find it, digital tools. And there's cool. a K2, a 3.5, and a 6.12. So if you need tools, they're up there. And it's free for anybody in education. Thank you, you so much for sharing that. Thank you. So do you think, just projecting in, into the future a little bit, do you think we will ever be the same after this as the traditional conception of schools? Do you think this event is going to change how we do schools? It has to. This is a surreal event. This isn't a couple of districts in the Midwest that it you know flooded or there was a hurricane. And I lived in Florida for three years and the schools would get shut down because it's hurricane season. Here we go. This is mm-hmm. not nationwide. This is worldwide. Like I said, I've run that blog and I yeah. talked to teachers and I talked to teachers in the democratic Republic of Congo and they're closed. I talked to teachers in Italy. Like I said, I've talked to teachers all around the globe. And this is something that is so interesting right now because we're sharing this worldwide. Certainly, this is going to change some aspect of schooling. Can I determine what that is right now? I don't know. Um, But obviously, it's going to have an effect. It's certainly going to have an effect on our seniors who, I don't know if they just said goodbye for the last time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you. And that's very hard. Yeah. Because we didn't even know that we were leaving when we said goodbye on Friday. Right, and right, so, same. Prom's canceled, is graduation canceled? And these, if you think about it, are the same kids who came into the world after 9-11. So yeah. that's just insane to me. I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around that historical piece of it yet. But there, yeah, this is going to change the world economically, for sure, for quite a while. And is it going to change? The way that we deliver instruction, are there going to be less brick and mortars because of this? Maybe, or maybe there'll be more because people will want to gather back together. Yeah, I'm not sure, but 
this isn't something to be taken lightly and it's something that definitely will change at least a generation. Yeah, I also foresee major implications of this, but hopefully there's a lot of positive that comes out of one thing that I was noticing uh, to your point about people's positive response to problem solving. And teachers tend to, in my experience, also just be really good problem solvers. It's one of our, I think, innate kind of a skill set. But teachers at this point are really trying to embrace something and do something that they haven't done before. How do you think this changes, if at all, teacher development? That's a good question. I think right now, it is an interesting time because we are all together in this and we're all trying to figure it out. And I'm actually uh, calling on our teachers who teach in an online environment, some of those folks who teach in those schools that are all online. And I've been in contact with some of my friends saying, okay, what do you guys do? And I know they have a prescribed curriculum all laid out on a learning management system, but at least I can talk to them about how do you call your students, what do you do, what's your schedule like. So we've had to pull from different sects that we haven't talked to before, which is an interesting thing. And then the other thing about professional development is that we're doing it ourselves. Yeah. I don't need anybody who's an expert. I just need, you know, the the teachers in the virtual world to help me navigate this. Okay, I have a question for everybody. Okay, and then you get 10 answers. Okay, I have another question, and then right. there's 10 answers. I just, like I said, when I was concerned about compliance and IEPs, put on Facebook the other day, hey, what are we doing about IEP meetings and compliance? And if gen ed kids are getting instructions and special ed kids are, how does that play into faith? Do you think there's going to be um, some pushback on that. And I had several administrators and teachers send me some things from the um, Council of Exceptional Children, some legal documents, and some things from lawyers that they had up there to address those concerns. And that was within 30 minutes. And it was just because I didn't mm. check it. It probably was within 10 minutes, I would say. Um, so it's been a great information gathering and problem solving from that perspective, I have not seen one teacher be negative. I mean, they're, they're tired and they're mm -hmm. confused. And I've had some of uh, the teachers who are new teachers or new teachers who say, help, what am I doing here? <laughs> but, and we're all saying, yes, exactly. We don't know. We're all treading right. waters together which is kind of an interesting and amazing thing that all of us are going through this together and we are creating this plane as it flies. You mentioned also that your interest in educational technology. So one observation I've had so far is that this clearly has implications on how fluent teachers are in the use of, of technology for education purposes and just overall general techno literacy and how people see themselves as users and consumers of, of educational technology. So I'm seeing and observing that a lot of teachers are struggling with, with that aspect of it uh, because it wasn't a thing that they needed to do before uh, in their style of teaching or and now they have to learn. And then there's other teachers who, for whom 
technology was an area of strength and they're kind of running away with it. So I see your point about us all being in it together and kind of starting on a on a playing field, but I'm still, I'm not seeing that it's a level playing field still. I'm clearly seeing in my experience that there's some people who are running with the remote learning because they not only have ideas, but they have fluency with technology use. And then there's others for whom this is a completely starting from scratch and they could have been in teaching for 20 years. Yeah. Um, yep. What, do you, what are your I thoughts think, on that? I think that we're helping those of us who are techno- technologically literate or who can find software to help our teachers with those issues that is user-friendly, that is easy to use, that is pretty much plug and play until they can figure out where they're going to navigate next. We've helped them and given them resources on those platforms so that they can use them. No Red Ink was one of them. Moby Max was one of them. These Mm -hmm. easy, easy things to use and implement from day one. It's got a tutorial and you can go. Put your kids in and move forward. The thing that I've seen that has been a block to that is that some school districts are saying, hey, that's not an approved software. You can't use that. Hmm. Now we're getting to some sticky waters with different school districts and different um, rules and what's approved and what's not approved. And I just think that at this point, if we're teaching, let's let's teach. If you're using right. something that is, you know, a pretty popular website that definitely is um, used a lot and it's not something that is questionable, then I don't see the, the, the bigger issue, but I'm not on those boards and I'm not legal and I don't know what those um, blockades are. Yeah, this it's all very interesting and new. So hopefully the there's people who are more flexible and allow some flexibility until we can figure this stuff out. Uh, at my school, with regards to this, we engaged in a the leadership team at the school engaged in a long conversation about what kind of a remote learning experience do we want. What are some things that we want to you know name as non-negotiables for us? You know, how do we balance somehow instruction and that student task approach, right? Finding tasks to give, but in addition to like, how, what what does delivering instruction look like and what are the different options people have to be able to deliver instruction? So right. we, we had long conversations about this and uh, at our school, we've landed on everyone should have a teaching point, a task for students and a formative assessment of this task. And the task and the formative assessment can sometimes be the same. With, with multiple parts or whatever. So everyone should figure out a way to do that. And we're using Google Classroom and we are for staff collaboration, we're using Zoom. And if you're feeling like you are at an advanced stage of being able to deliver instruction remotely, then you should use Zoom to host uh, synchronous sessions for students. Mm-hmm. And so we're giving, we have decided, we'll see how it goes, but we've decided to give teachers the opportunity and the choice to be able to do synchronous versus asynchronous uh, kind of a model where they can just upload a video they made before. But we did 
name that everyone should have some kind of an instructional piece, whether it's a video or a PowerPoint recording or whatever it may be. There's got to be some kind of five to 10 minute of time, minutes of instruction that gets uploaded to Google Classroom. So we did some of that norming. And then on Google Classroom, we normed how each classroom should look and how you know each week's entry should look. So lots of conversation we normed around. And I did a Zoom PD today to show folks how to make an instructional video using the Zoom software. Happy to share that with you too because I saved it. And yeah. but that that kind of stuff makes you realize that you know to go back to the point that people are at various places on the spectrum of techno literacy, and it could be very stress inducing if we try to do too much in this kind of a moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I would say to start out with, find a video. Say you're teaching fractions. Find a fractions video. Yeah. Post it, and then start learning how to do those videos um, and start to practice with those. You know, screencast is another good one. I use that all the time to post videos. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, start out, you know, even with uh, audible instructions, right? If you just record it on your phone and upload it. Exactly. Put it on there at least the parents have the instructions to right. explain with their child and then the other thing i would say is i don't know how we do big new learning in an online environment that we have just adjusted to so how do we start something brand new and that's going to have to be very scaffold very much um, built upon the next and the next and the next. And it's going to have to start right. out slow and build, especially if we're out for the long run. I know, I think Kansas is out for the rest of the year. Oh, wow. I didn't know yes. that. Yes. Kansas is out for the rest of the year. Um, there's a few other schools that are out until May, and then they're going to look at it from there. So for those schools, you know, how do they get the rest of quarter four done um, they're going to have to start out slow and build from there. And it's okay to start out slow. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, that, that's an idea that came up in our staff too. We, we were sharing and hearing that it's almost like the first day of school on Monday. Yes. And Oh, my gosh. Yes. You, you have to treat it as such by establishing some clarity for the students as how we do and, remote learning. Yeah, rules and procedures again. And you have to come up with rules and procedures for an online environment. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's another thing that we have to do. And um, not only that, and then figuring out how your students are doing social emotionally, right? Because there's kids who are yeah. probably pretty anxious, and then there's kids who are okay, and there's kids who may not have a lot of food at home, or, you know, parents have just lost their jobs or had to close their restaurants or and a lot of things are going on so I can't expect my students to sit and do six hours worth of work either so we have to kind of minimize that angle as well and then you think about the families that have one computer they have to share with three kids or I have a lot of rural kids out where I'm at and so I don't even know if they have 
I know they have cell phones because I tell them to put them away all the time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know they, I know they have those. Um, so they can use those. So then, what does that look like on a cell phone versus a computer? And what are we doing for those little kids who don't have anything? Yeah, it's just, you know, the inequities are just even more yeah. obvious it's, at this point. It's going to be vast. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, I'm in the city and obviously, like, we, we had a lot of access to technology just the way we have done things at our school for a while. That has been an area of focus for a long time. So we've collected some technology. So we had opened up our doors to families to come grab laptops. Uh, mm-hmm. Any families that needed one for their child, they should come and get it. And students and families came in droves over the last two days to come pick up a laptop. And, you know, and then that, but that's because we had them. Right. Um, a lot of schools, even in the city, don't have them. So, right. again, just this, this inequity. Um, we've been talking about challenges that are presented to us by this current situation, but if we were to just zoom out a little bit and look at teaching as a profession, mm-hmm. uh, what have been, or in your view, what are some of the biggest challenges that teachers face day to day outside of this COVID situation? <laughs> yeah. Outside of this situation, I would say that for me, the biggest hurdle are people who make decisions about education who are not educators. And so that is curriculum-based or standardized testing or some crazy rule that we have to now follow. And so that whole legislative political piece of not being at the table is an issue. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I always see with my student teachers, because I teach at a university also, is being clear and consistent with behavior. So don't let one kid get away with something if, you know, oh, well, he doesn't ever do this. Yes, but I'm sorry, you have to be clear and consistent with behavior so that everybody, and fair, so that everybody knows what's up, what's up with the rules and procedures. So those are, those are some things I've seen, um, especially um, at the high school level, we're seeing an uptick in vaping, which is mm. um, pretty scary, especially with a respiratory virus that's going around now. Yeah. And so that's a um, something that we've been trying to mitigate all year long. And it has been in the back of our minds all year long. It's been uh, a very... Uh, difficult thing to manage because we get we get one bathroom set and the next one is everybody's going to that one yeah it's oh this vaping thing is just oh, wow um, yeah it's crazy when, when you think about the, the current challenges um and even in the sense of challenges that school face in general besides just the day-to-day teaching You've probably heard of this statistic or read about it that uh, number of homeschool children is, you know, increasing mm-hmm. year to year quite dramatically. And meanwhile, on the uh, public school side, there are more and more charter public schools popping up in a lot of urban settings. And there's debate about 
having choice versus not having choice to send your child to whichever school you choose. So given this kind of a climate, why do you think there's so much? Well, let's start with the homeschool question. Why, why do you think homeschool numbers are increasing instead of the traditional public school numbers? I think that the homeschool movement is increasing because parents really want that to be a religious um, piece in their education, and they really want to take mm-hmm. control of, of their child's education. So I think that for the homeschool people, um, it's it's red and black. It's either they're fan fantastic and the kids are graduating at 16 and going to college and becoming really well-rounded individuals or it's parents who say they're homeschooling and they're not and I've seen that firsthand Mm. when I taught elementary school and they would say they were homeschooling for years and a second grader came in and couldn't even write his name so yeah so I think it's why people are homeschooling, I, I honestly, from just the people that I know personally, it's more a religious-based choice than anything as far as that is concerned, but that's just from the homeschoolers that I know personally in my family. Fair. And and what, what are your thoughts on school choice, uh, this idea of you know, people who want to send their children to a charter school instead of a public school because of whatever reason, the public school is does not have a good reputation or does not have results that they expect. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Number one, two, revenue streams doesn't work. We already did not have enough money for public education, and now we're going to give private people public money to run schools who are not educators. That's a problem for me because we have a school here in my town where the kids sit like statues. I went to Catholic school and it's 10 times what I experienced with the nuns. They're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to do anything. I have student teachers who went over there and told me that the teacher does the science experiment and the children watch. Now this is third grade. That's Mm -hmm. scary because they are not using best practices. Now, on the other hand, there's another charter school that's fantastic that a friend of mine works at that does use best practices and they Mm -hmm. do professional development. And it's not this strict draconian type of school. But the issue that I have is that there is, at least where I am, really no regulation of that. So the public schools have a regulation. They have a board. We have to meet certain amount of hours. We have to go to professional development. And our charter schools don't have to do many of those things. Right. And the other thing is with charter schools is that we see an uptick after the 100th day of school when the money is funded. We see an mm-hmm. uptick of kids coming back to the public school and getting, I don't want to say kicked out because they're not getting kicked out, but they're pressured to move on because they are not doing what they need to do with that school. When you have that kind of choice, it's not choice for the parents then, right? 
then it's just choice for the business itself to choose who goes to the school. And I choose these students who are well behaved and get good grades. And then I can market myself as this A plus school and send kids, you know, to college with all of these scholarships. And yet the public school has to take every single student. It doesn't matter if it is a child who needs a level D placement at a very expensive behavioral health center that we have to pay for, or if it's just your regular kid who just is, you know, just doing fine. And so depend, it doesn't matter. Um, we can't just say, well, you should find a different school to go to because of school choice. So that's, that's a big, big issue that I see. And the biggest issue is that the people running those schools are in it, not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are in it for money. We had a politician in our state who owned one of those charter school, hmm. uh, several charter school uh, conglomerates, and he sold the charter school for millions of dollars. Those are millions of dollars of public funds that are now in his private pocket. And he is still making laws today during this crisis for public schools. I mean, talk about, a, you know, a conflict. That is a big conflict. Yeah, I often yeah. hear stories about you know, ex-charter scam or the charter scam. I, I do hear those stories uh, often. Um, and so from that perspective, from like the national policy and uh, ethics perspective, there seems to be clear concerns with regards to charter schools that you bring up and a lot of people have brought up. And uh, But from the perspective of the parent, if you're a parent who is dissatisfied with a public school, what what should, in your opinion, then they be asking for, if anything at all? If not, if it's not a charter school, what, what can they do? Right, what can they do? I will tell you that I made the decision to take my child out when he was in eighth grade and put him in a charter school because of a behavior issue. Mm. And he just got behind in math so very much that the next year he was in high school and we had to actually convene for testing for uh, special education services because he got so behind from that charter school. It was, it was a really bad. Um, mm. But I put him in the charter school because he was at my school causing a little bit havoc. And I was a little tired of the principal having to come to me as the employee and the mom. Mm-hmm. So, um, he made, you know, he made friends there and everything. He still talks to those kids. But um, what I should have done in retrospect was had him RTI'd at the, at the public school and figured out what the problem was there mm-hmm. and taken him to see uh, a doctor and a therapist instead of trying to say, oh, it's, I even got into that trap, right? Even I got into that trap that, oh, it's yeah. the school's fault. It's the school's problem. It's not. I'm not saying it's your child's problem either. And I'm not saying there's not an issue in, in schools um, with 
with some of our, our schools. But for the school that I was at, it really wasn't a school issue. It was a parent-child issue. And I tried to mitigate that by moving him, which didn't work. He only got behind more. And mm-hmm. um, the behavior did stop a little bit because I think he had a honeymoon period. But mm-hmm. I did take him out of that charter school in the eighth grade, going into the eighth grade, which yeah. they weren't happy about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Stop yeah. And- and another thing that's often different. So we've talked about parents and their dilemma of figuring out which school and what to do with their child who may have different needs. We've talked about at the policy level what charter schools can sometimes, you know, have the allegations and 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 face those charges. Sometimes they're proven, sometimes they're not. So there's a conflict there of funding who to give money to charters or public schools, and then. There's also the teachers. So teachers work differently in different hours at many of the charter schools, especially the big ones. And in traditional public schools, the teaching responsibilities are a little bit different because of some of the protections offered by by the union. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Many of those schools, those charter schools, are um, are like a like a right to work state. Sure, sure. You let go at any time. There's no contract. They don't pay into the state retirement. It's a business. It's a business that's run like a business, which um, we tried that in my district for many years to create a business model at my school. And none of the teachers really were very happy with that. It's Mm. a school. It is a business, right? It does generate revenue and all of that stuff. But it's not a factory. You can't just check out widgets. These are people with feelings who are all different, and that's a school. So there's a different way to run a school than it is a business. And some of those charter schools, I think they see dollar signs when they see kids instead of their needs. I think that's the the sad part that there's a, there's a lot of charter schools that are doing great work and their great work is overshadowed by some yeah. of the other ones. And, and you know, that's the case with public schools also. There's a lot of public schools that are doing great work and sometimes the great work is overshadowed by the not so great work by some other. Well, no, schools. you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and I met a man has, when I was going through grad school, his name is Gerald Tarosi and he worked at the Clinton administration mm-hmm. and he wrote a book called Stop the School Bus. And he initially was on the committee that created this charter movement. And the Mm. committee at the time, here's what the charter schools were for at at the time. At the time, they were for teachers to create their own schools so that they could teach better without the overhead of administration, number one. And number two, for kids who weren't getting the special education services they needed they could move to these schools and get better service. Hmm. But it just became this snowball of this whole other thing that it is today. So from, from a great idea kind of stems where we're at now. How do we go and fix it? Um, I think we have to make sure that there are oversights and mm-hmm. that 
charter schools are held accountable. Well, one thing both charter schools and and a lot of public schools seem to have in common is teacher turnover, uh, which is not a good thing because I, my charter friends at charter schools who teach there, a lot of amazing people, great people, just like the public school teachers I meet, and they're all trying to do right by children, and yet the work gets so challenging for so many of our, our teacher peers that they end up leaving the profession. So in your view, what are, what are some causes of teacher turnover and what can be done to avoid it? Burnout. So teachers who are just burning the midnight oil and they never stop and they never take time for themselves. You see those teachers all the time. They're sitting there at the schools at eight o'clock at night and they're still working because it is a job that you can do 24 hours a day and still not be done. So you mm -hmm. have to stop, right? And those teachers don't stop. Um, another issue is not having a supportive administration. So a supportive administration as far as student behaviors, as far as a culture, um, you know, many, many, many of the teachers who I meet who have left just don't have that support from their administration. They don't have support from mentors. They don't have the support um, in general. And so they feel like they're on their own island and they don't see a way off. So they, they go. Um, yeah. And those, those, are, those are two huge reasons. And, and I was part of a, a study that we did when Red for Red was here in our state strike and I was part of something called the Hope Street Group and we did a mm -hmm. research piece on why this was a problem what this turnover problem was and yeah salaries was part of it don't get me wrong mm -hmm. but more or less support was number one on the list administrative support because if you don't feel like you're being supported in your decisions in what you're doing at the school or with behavior management or curriculum or whatever it is, then you don't want to work for that person. But not only that, if you're a newer teacher, this is kind of the taste you get in your mouth about education and you, you tend to leave. Yeah. What, what, what is the anatomy of effective leadership? Uh, you know, supportive leadership at a school? What are they, what's, what's that made up of um, in your experience, in your view? What do leaders and administration need to be able to do and have in order to make teachers feel supported in your view? Sure. Listen to the teachers. I have worked for some poor administrators and I've worked with some great administrators. And right now I'm working for a great one. He came in last year. We had a situation where my principal um, got breast cancer and was leaving. Mm. And so he came in at the end of the school year, which is a real hard time to come in as an administrator or principal of the yeah. school. Our, our uh, AP left to go take some director jobs. So it was all in, in a flux. I was going to leave to go to teach at a college full time, but I decided to stay mm. because he listened to us. And our number one complaint was that the kids were on their cell phones all the time. Kids are on their cell phones, kids are on their cell phones. The next year wasn't that year because you don't make a quick change like that in quarter four. 
Right. <laughs> he just waited out. And that was another that was another good thing because he just kind of listened and observed. We came back in August and he said, you know what? No cell phones. We're done. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna have them out. You're gonna get a detention if you get the cell phone and that's it. And it stopped. I mean we have some kids who, you know, once in a while they look and sure, sure. But but if we have a child who has their electronics out and they're working or they're using them inappropriately and we give them a detention, we're backed up because that's the school rule. That's our culture. We're not going to get the cell phones out and be distracted. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean by being supportive. I make a decision. I say, hey, your cell phone's out. No, you can't have it out. And you know what the, they always say? Oh, I was just texting my mom. And I always tell them, no, 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 no. Do they? I have no experience in high school, so I don't know what the excuses are. <laughs> that's what they say. And okay. I always tell them, oh, I'm sorry. It's not the who. It's the where. You're in my class right now. You're using it. Okay? I don't care who you're texting. You can text your mom later in the five minutes you have to be in class. So <laughs> that's what I mean by listening to the teachers. And the other thing is when you're a new administrator or somebody's coming in, don't make all kinds of changes that first year. because then everybody is just going to lose their marbles. That's the yeah. only change he made, and everybody was thrilled with it. Now we're going to do some other things. We're going to implement some um, tutoring or something like that next year. Okay, great. But we're all on board. And those who aren't or weren't left, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you want, because right. you want everybody to be on board of this um, collective culture. And so that's really what I think a good leader does. The other thing that this new administrator does really brought back school spirit, which was lacking. And so we've brought back some of our assemblies and we've brought back some of our different things that we used to do as a school that kind of got tossed to the wayside. And it has been a very positive experience for the students and for the teachers. Teachers who have been there for years and years and years are saying, oh my gosh, this is the way it used to be. This is the way I want it to be. That's cool. So, That's great. It, you know, yeah. it's been great. Thank you for sharing that. We are just about out of time, so I'm going to make this our last question. Uh, and it's, you know, the question about the magic wand. If you had a magic wand that you could wave to make any change that you wanted to make uh, to education, to improve or strengthen our education system or teaching, uh, what would you do? Number one, I would have student teachers teach for a year with pay under a mentor teacher. And mm-hmm. that's first off. And they would have a mentor because, again, that support needs to be there. Um, I would also wave a wand to over my general ed teachers to let them know <laughs> that being a special ed teacher, a special ed students, let them know that you don't have to have the exact same thing for every single student. They can do different things to show you that they know what it is and that's okay. That seems mm-hmm. to be a really difficult thing to do in high school. So please look at their accommodations and modifications and, and use them. Um, and uh, if I had a magic wand, I think the thing that I would make go away is inequity and socioeconomic status. And 
those schools that are in those areas that are in need would no longer be in need. That's mm. what I would do. Across the board, everybody would get what they need in order to be able to teach the kids who they have in front of them. Thank you and that beautiful thought. I appreciate your time. Uh, I wish you good health. And yes, you too. And and success in this uncertain time ahead. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turnandtalkpodcast. We invite you to also follow us on instagram at turn and talk podcast if you haven't subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace how are you doing? Good, because my headphones were having um, a stroke or something. Oh, that's not <laughs> hey, a problem at all. I... You're doing the Zoom thing where you can make a background. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah, it's ridiculous, actually, because I look like oh, really? a clown at the moment. <laughs> but I'd rather have none. So <laughs> because yeah. the way it was, cause I, I find that when you have like headphones on or something, you can't uh-huh. recognize the outline, outline of your head. So it messes oh. up. But... It is, uh, you know where on the bottom of your screen, it says uh, there's like a, a video camera icon? Yes. Next to the mute button? Yes. Next to that stop video icon is like a little arrow pointing up. Yes. That's where you can change your virtual background. If you click uh, it, you'll see a choose virtual background situation. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> How All are right, you? Well, anyway. I'm good. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time.